All right, Johnny. All right, Tyler. You like you too, don't you? Just a bit. Then I really think you'll like Mew and the Glass-Handed Kites. of special die away it's time for a very special album for both tyler and i on tumble or then you might like the show in which if you like you too then we talk about albums that you might possibly enjoy as well mew let's get this right off the bat mew m-e-w not muse nothing wrong with muse but m-e-w mew the danish band how are you feeling about covering and the glass-handed kites um a little bit trepidatious know this album a lot um, very fond of it. You introduced me to it uh, in 2005, 2006. I think you were a fan of me before this album came out, but I certainly hadn't heard uh, of them or any of the music before that point. Um, there's a very, very fond memory of us uh, and a group of friends going up to Rivington, and I just heard Special, which mm. uh, everybody just heard a clip of. And it was just going. It was going round and round and round in my head, and I, I, I don't know what was said, but that day, I, I don't remember any of the conversations. I just remember special, just going, going round in my head. And this, these were the days before good MP3 players, or, or good mobile phones. So mm. I couldn't actually be listening to it at the time, and I, I kind of just wanted to get home from this lovely, hot, sunny summer's day out with friends, so that I could listen to a, a song that I was completely obsessed with. Yeah, get rid of all that nature, get into your uh, dark, dingy little office room and listen to a special on repeat. <laughs> you think I had an office when I was 14, do you? <laughs> and a secretary. No. Um, well, Tyler, you're not the only fan in 2006, approximate. I was searching for some links. Now, obviously, we try and do the U2 and whatever band we're talking about links. Sometimes they are very many, sometimes they are very few. And I thought, to be honest, I'm not going to be able to get many links here. However, uh, just listen to this clip here from our old friend Bono. I heard an extraordinary Danish band, and I can't remember their name. And I met the guitar player. Mew? Cashman. Yes. Mew? Mew. Fantastic band. Really world class. Yeah. Mew was really world class. It was something very... It reminded me a little bit of Bloody Valentine, which is one of my favourite bands. Um, it was very, very, very cool. So that was Bono, and that's that's kind of surprised me because I didn't think there'd be any real crossover here. But it's it's lovely to know that at the same time that we were up Rivington and I had special go around my head, Bono was having a very similar time. And I like anything that connects me with uh, Paul Lovable Vox Hewson. Yeah, and you can see there that he's obviously not a, an Uber fan because considering he, he forgot the name of the band. However, um, <laughs> there is definitely crossover. And I I don't understand how Mew are not a lot bigger, to be honest. I think they have so many elements of, um, w- of bands which are so much weaker who somehow have got this enormous cachet. I'm not going to bother naming particular ones apart from Coldplay, but I just think they're such a great band and they've got so many epic stadium worthy anthems maybe it's because they're danish or they don't sing in danish um maybe it was release strategies or management um or maybe it's the way it should be um maybe mew are at the level that they should be because 
we would not have been able to have the opportunity to see them in intimate gigs. I'll put a link to the one that we um, were... We we either t- retweeted something or got into some competition and ended up um, a lot of us and our close friends got to go to a intimate Mew gig in Manchester, which was fantastic. I'll post a link to that in the description of the episode. And we also also got to meet the band afterwards. Now, we've met the band a couple of times. Um, We're old friends. We're old friends. Yeah, I think they definitely count as old friends. Um, as ever, whenever <laughs> I meet anyone famous, I am always reminded how tall I am and how relatively short most celebrities or music people are and it's a bit weird your mistake is actually bringing that up to them though yeah i was like all right short asses and they were like (laughs) luckily it's not really a danish expression uh i'm kidding i'm being light-hearted but um the band were great really really nice guys i think jonas beer the um or bajir i don't know you would say his name i assume it's beer um is one of the most humble and likable frontmen ever um, and you can tell even just by the way he stands on stage, he's got none of that kind of, um, I mean, we're far away from Liam Gallagher here is all I'll say. He's a very demure, humble singer, but with a set of pipes that are incredible. And if you've only just discovered me, I think that'll probably be the standout thing you'll start to talk about is is the voice of Jonas Beer. My theory on why Mew aren't necessarily as well known as me and Johnny would like them to be is because I think they're very hard to pigeonhole into one genre or another. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of uh, musical elements and it does require a little bit of work from the listener. It would be challenging for you to listen to. I would argue nowhere near as challenging as trying to listen to a, an album of Patti Smith, but Mm. Uh, that's just that's just my opinion. I think if if you're a music fan, they're they're gonna they're gonna hit on some bases for you. They're gonna miss on some others. Um, but I've never been disappointed with a Mew album. And I also just want to add, <clears throat> if me and Johnny are coughing all the way through this, it's because we were at a festival at the weekend, and um, my voice is um, on its last legs. Are you, are you feeling somewhat similar, Johnny? Uh, yeah, like a one-inch pony. I'm a little horse. And you should have, you should, for long time listeners, it may not surprise you, but uh, Johnny was moaning so much about beer cues and <laughs> toilet cues, and you, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think he liked music at all. Uh, the music was great, the weight was not. Anyway, let's not, let's not go on about, uh, about that too much. Well, live music is back, and that's a good thing, I guess. Um, now, when asked about this album, the band said that it's the lightest and the darkest, it's them at their softest and the hardest. And um, I think that mix of superlatives actually does capture um, me really, really well. I think this is the best album for them to do, not just because it's one of my favourite albums of all time. It would make my top five list, definitely. That's you two albums included. Um, But I think this is one that really captures them when they hit their stride. Um, You could quibble whether this is a fourth album or when it's their second proper one. It was certainly the one that broke them into a bit more of a... um, a bit more mainstream success, definitely in their home country. Um, and it's an album that the words I've written down here to just kind of sum it up overall. And I really feel like this is more of a, an introduction um, that we're giving people. Sorry, people who, who already know this album really well, but I think you'll be in the minority. Normally when Tyler and I were discussing these albums, it's ones that we don't know that well, but everyone else seems to. Um, so the things that I've written down here are challenging, rich, melodic, ambitious, and unapologetic. All these things that I think 
at, at their best, they capture the things that I like the best about U2 at their best. So to me, this is an album that is, it's big, it's dark, it's got lightness on it, it's got melody on it, it's got a couple of absolutely hummable, earwormy singles, but it also has that depth and darkness and intrigue and experimentation that U2 have got on Acton Baby. So these sit really well together as some of my favourite albums. Um, yeah, so so what it, is this your favourite? This isn't your favourite new album, is it, Tyler? I mean, just a sidebar from this one. Plus Minus is um, a real contender. Um, but I, I feel like that was the album cycle that I've really got the most out of. I think I saw them a couple of times on that tour. Yeah. Uh, it was around that time that I met them for the first time. And, um, it, like, you know, just a, a better place in my life, a little bit older with a bit of money in my pocket. Um, um, so, so yeah, just out of university, I, I think it's more to do with the time I was in, I was at in my life than anything else. Mm. Um, obviously at, at 14, I couldn't afford to go to all the gigs I wanted, um, to do. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, this is, this is a really special album for me and it's one I always go back to and one I've really loved going uh, going back and listening to just because we've had such lovely weather it's a summer summary album for me for some reason i don't i don't really? know if a lot of people would would no, feel like so. that with me it says but it's dark do, as hell <laughs> i do associate it with summer um and yeah but me are one of those bands that i go and watch with my friends and um i've never been disappointed by any, anything they've done even though i haven't quite got into the last album quite on the you know the same level yeah all of their output is very good check it out for yourselves um i would start personally with either this one or fringes but it doesn't matter they're, they're all phenomenal in their own different ways um but who are you um tyler i'll let you say all the names of the band no 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 i insist you do no, it better than come on, i do you're being modest tyler i think you should say them <laughs> well we've got jonas beer on vocals um, that's the only one I've got. Um, I know off by heart, and I don't have them written down. Okay, well, I've got There's, them. In the, front of there me is Johan. I know that. I know this. I know the first names. I don't know the the full names. You've yeah. got Johan on bass. Johan Volert, yeah. Uh, you've got Silas on the drums. Silas Utkegra Jorgensen. Uh, he's Doctor Nick on this one. I know uh, he's not a proper member, but I, I I love watching him play keys. Yeah, so Nick Watts is the keyboardist. He's been around since 2001. Um, not a full member of the band, but a, I would say an essential member of the live outfit. I remember him being surprised when I asked him to sign my uh, record. <laughs> and I, I was like, of course I want your autograph. Like, I, I think every Mew fan sees him as a member of the band. But I, f I found it really humble. He's like, are you sure you want me to sign? He's like, yeah, of course, man. Well, devalued it now when you stick it on eBay. Um, uh, touring currently with them on guitar again not a full member like Nick's is uh, Mads uh, Wenger or Wenger uh, again apologies uh, Scandinavian Danish you know uh, I can't say names properly and um, at this time on this album is Bo Madsen who has a very distinctive guitar style and is definitely a, a big part of this band he was um, current in the band from 1995 to 2015 so he whilst not being a current member of the band is very much part of the foundational sound and he's a great guitarist yeah so um this is i what i would call the fourth studio album of uh, of mew it was released in the united kingdom on the 19th of september 2005 and in the united states it was released on the 25th of july 2006 that's a that's a huge length of time difference don't know why 
Yeah, strange. Um, but uh, are we ready to do the chart? Some would, some would say needlessly this week. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, anyway, let's let's do it regardless. Uh, hit it. New on the chart this week at number ten, it's Wings of a Butterfly by him. Down to number nine from four, it's Fix You by Coldplay. Stop talking, Johnny. This is my bit. In at number eight this week, it's Pond de Replay by Rihanna. New on the chart at number seven, it's Out of Control by 50 Cent featuring Mob Deep. New on the chart at number six, it's Have a Nice Day by Bon Jovi. Staying at number five for another week, it's Bad Day by Daniel Powder. <laughs> number four, uh, Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Pressure by Milo vs. Miami Sound Machine. Number three, Dare by Gorillaz. Mm-hmm. New on the chart at number two, it's We uh, <laughs> Be Burning by Sean Paul. And staying at number one for another week, it's Don't You by the Pussycat Dolls featuring Buster Rhymes. What a steaming pile that chart is. <laughs> See, this is what gets me annoyed. I mean, and all the while, you uh, let's have a look at where they charted with this in the, in the UK. Let's have a look. Okay, so I've not got the... To be fair, they got to number two in the Danish album chart, which makes sense. Obviously, they're much more Scandinavian focused. The highest they seem to get in the UK is Special got to 46. And you compare that to whatever all rubbish was in there, but whatever. I'm not going to just complain. I think, though, it's still in 2005 to get to number 46. You still have to sell a decent amount of records. Yeah, yeah, well, there we go. Um, I, I, I actually don't want them to be bigger than they are because they're actually affordable to see and they're not, um, you know, they're, they're not... They would really benefit from a massive stage show, but whenever I see them, it's always absolutely transcendent, even if they're playing in, you know, relative to you 2 who obviously were the most comparable band for this podcast. They're in a small venue, you know, like the Ritz, for example, but they, they always do an incredible light show. I know that Jonas and uh, maybe other members of the band have got a background in visual production as well and create very strange um, videos to accompany a lot of their work, but they're always interesting. And I'd say the videos for things like Am I Ryan No and Satellites, very, very good to watch. Great graphic design as well. Yes, yeah. Um, although... I really wish they weren't called Mew. I wish they were called something different because first conversation you have with everyone about them is, oh, Mew, do you mean Muse? No, M-E-W, Mew. And then it is just a kind of a bit of a, a bit of a rubbish name for a band. I mean, U2 is a rubbish name for, for a band. The Beatles is a bad name for a band. But just Mew, it's not even Snarl or Meow, it's just Mew. Told you I came up with a great name at the weekend, Fanny Packs and the Bumbags. That sounds like a novelty band from a carry-on film, though. And I wouldn't be suggesting that to Jonas next time we meet him. <laughs> <laughs> Here, mate. I've got I've got a cracking idea. This this will send you guys stratospheric. Mm. Maybe away from um, us, yeah. Let's stop uh, wittering and get on to the album review. Uh, so, here we go. Do, you like, do, do we do a sting like at this point? there's any less wittering in the album review. <laughs> <laughs> Track number one, in at 2 minutes and 45 seconds, it's Circuitry of the Wolf. When I listened to this, um, it had been a while since I'd last listened to the whole album all the way through. And I'd forgotten how angular and spiky the guitars are. It's such a bold way to start off an album. And um, let's just take you back through the through the mists of time. Back, in, back into the time. And um, it's... 2005 or 6, I assume it was 2005-ish, 
and I'm being driven in a car, okay, by a friend of ours called David Gibson, and he stuck on some music for me. Now, <clears throat> David has different music tastes to me at that time. I was much more into, I would call, far more mainstream stuff than he was, so far more into, like, U2, Coldplay, that sort of stuff, just bog-standard indie music. And he, he said... How tight did he tied the ropes? <laughs> but, like, how, but he's he said something akin to, you know, you know, let's crank this and, and op- open your ears up. And I was flooded with circuitry of the wolf. And it's, I, I really do remember this feeling again. I'm not just bringing this up to be facetious or to embarrass anyone. I remember hearing this and thinking, what is this music? Because it's very distorted and angular to begin with. The drums are not starting with a usual, you know, one, two, three, four kind of boring. There's just a crash and a smash around and it really gets across that primal sound and i loved listening to this album again like you were saying it's you it's how you associate the album with a particular time i remember those car rides back into college it might have only been one that he played you know say half of the album but i remember all this album really well and maybe that's why i associate it very well um with a with a happy time in my life but yeah um i couldn't get round a lot of the time signatures in this song and just how it refuses to be an opening that says, right, here's a lovely hook. Let's get you in straight away. Again, to make a YouTube comparison, this is not Beautiful Day to start off an album. So how do you, how do you feel about it as a starter? Yeah, I, I have a, a very similar reaction. Absolutely chaotic start. It's almost like a war yep. um, kicking off in your eardrums. And uh, I, I, am I right that the, the drum pattern is offbeat? Or changes time signatures. I would imagine it changes time signatures. I think if you want to, if you're a drummer, a proper drummer, not like me, like a job in one, but if you're a proper drummer who knows about time signatures or music in general, I think you'd get so much out of this um, album because there are definitely songs where time signatures switch. I think it's just, um, it's way more offbeat than what we're used to. We're kind of used to a sort of just 4 4 um, beat, really, you know, a simple drum beat, whereas. Silas, the the drummer, is he seems like he's allergic to playing the most natural and boring drum beat ever. He makes the it's so much of a difficult job for himself and refuses to just go. Okay, I'll just kick back on this one. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what's so special about the band. In and I think they said special that three times when describing you. Is this intentional? No, I haven't. Um, that's what's so unique about the band. They don't want to do the easy thing. They do want to go around the houses. And it, it's, yeah, it's it's not Beautiful Day. It's not Paradise it, it by co- the cold plays. Mm. It's, um, it's a challenge to listen to. And I think m- music should be a challenge to listen to mm. more often than it is. And when you, um, I think that goes just for all art as well in general. I think to be slightly getting on the pretentious side, I think people do have this idea <laughs> that art needs to be nice. It needs to be pleasing. And no one ever said that was a rule of it. It should be challenging. It's like when people go into an art gallery and say, oh, I don't, don't like that very much. It's like, you don't have to like it. You should just have a reaction to it. You know, it doesn't have to be a liking thing. But I mean, that's not to re- misrepresent this song. I do like it a lot. And I think... It's great once you've heard the first time you hear it because it's so disconcerting and weird. But then it's also good when you've heard it and got used to it and you can feel all the ideas brewing up because there is piano that comes through and a kind of choral chant that builds up. And then that just washes you into Chinaberry Tree, which is a very different song, but it's totally seamless. Yeah. 
And I suppose we should talk now. This is sometimes described as a concept album. And I think that's true to an extent. It, I, th- I think it's probably more accurate to say that it's a, it can be listened to in one sitting and it's definitely designed so you don't have clear stops between the songs. But there are moments where there are proper, you know, the song has finished and now another one has started. It's not all transition work, but Circuitry Wolf and Chinaberry Tree, they do flood together. And there's other songs that are constructed mm. to build up into another one. Some critics have had a problem with that in the past. Um, I think just actually one weird critic who said he didn't like the fact that um, that the song seemed to be sacrificed to the, this overall swell of an album or this one piece of music thing. To me, that's such a... just got the wrong end of the stick completely. This is such an achievement as a piece of music. And I think concept albums are usually bad. They don't usually work that well. But this is incredible and it's good as individual tracks. On a previous episode of Review 2, I described this as being the only album I've ever listened to which uses the format of CD, i.e. not a vinyl, not a tape. You don't have to flip it halfway through. You can have one long piece of music. Now, I know there are going to be other examples, particularly in like a a classical genre. I know that. But in terms of the type of music I like, the rock genre mm. this is one of the only ones i've ever come across where it it does read like one piece of music and i and I, I imagine i think it was definitely written like that and i imagine it was performed like that mm. at least in the studio but n- no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say it was recorded like that because that seems that would um, good as they are that would be impossible i think yeah it would take a lot of takes Ima- imagine messing up on the on like the last track yeah start again 40 minutes ago. <laughs> um, are are yeah, we on Chinaberry Tree now? We are, but just on what you're saying, because it's come up naturally, um, I think you're right. You're, you're dead right about the CD thing, because if you... Thanks, Johnny. No problem. I've been waiting for your affirmation. <laughs> Isn't everyone? So, um, <laughs> A Dark Design, which we'll get to later, obviously, is the last side on side A, if you were listening to this on record. But that is the flow between track eight and track nine, Saviors of Jazz Ballet, doesn't it doesn't work if you have to flip the record over like at all there's a big swirling no. drum solo and it goes into saviors of jazz valley and if you have to stand up and then flip a record over you've lost all that momentum so uh, yeah i agree it's it's it is a, it's very good on cd this album um i remember getting it and it being one of my most cherished cds that, that i had had it in digipack format um although i would say it is comparatively speaking the album cover is one of the worst album covers comparative to the music quality ever have a look at it if you want this i mean i guess tyler would have done a cover for this but i mean well i'm gonna ask you to uh have you still got your original copy from 2005 yes not on me right i've or is it your mum and dad's <laughs> quite probably yeah <laughs> right. makes me sound about 13 so, so before we put the episode out, I might go and get that from your mum and dad's because I reckon that your copy is r- absolutely ruined and I keep things a lot nicer than you do. Mm. So I'd like to look at how the two copies have fared over the years. I don't think it's that bad because I think the quality of the digipack is quite strong. Don't look at my Tears <laughs> for Fears uh, best of, though. That's, uh, <laughs> that's very um, did, you ever, did you ever find that Tears for, C- Tears for Fears CD? Because you were accusing me of stealing it for a long time. Um, I think I did, actually. 
he might have been in a car stereo. Anyway, China Berry Tree. <laughs> um, should we talk about that? Three, three minutes, 33 seconds. Uh, not a single, surprisingly. Uh, Jonas's voice is now a focal point, which is something that wasn't necessarily true in um, Circuitry of the Wolf. Mm. Uh, the instruments have calmed down a little bit. They, I, I imagine they can't play at that level for too long of a, um, a time. Um, but don't worry, they'll be back. I, I think the lyrics are often unclear in Mew. But yep. I've always said that Jonas's voice is being used more as an instrument than as a storytelling device. Um, yep. And and I, I see it like that. I am somebody that's obsessed with knowing lyrics and wanting to sing along to a song. Not knowing the lyrics has never stopped me singing along to a Mew song, and it's it's only in the past couple of weeks when I have been going over these songs and actually, what does it say there? Um, that that I've, I've realised just how discordant they could be, and they are like poetry. Yeah, they they do they do read like poetry, but you don't need to know what the songs are. Just, just sing whatever you think is happening. Yeah, I think um, just to, to mention a particular poet, uh, I think. John Keats' idea of negative capability is really important here. Now, but what that basically means, okay, and it's essentially what Tyler's just described, is there is a certain type of person who is very literal and wants to know, right, A, what are the lyrics word for word, and B, what do they mean, and I want the band to tell me what they mean, okay? And that's the way to, quote-unquote, understand the meaning of it. I really don't think you are going for that sort of thing. I think the lyrics are, they're, they're carefully chosen, but they are speculative, they're ambiguous. And if you are able to just exist in that space where you don't have to nail down exactly what's the literal meaning, you'll enjoy this album. Yeah. So, oh, you've changed your stripe since we reviewed Oasis. <laughs> but, um, well, I mean, this is another class, really, here um, of, of lyric writing, in, in my humble opinion. I think you can... I mean, and I did enjoy this album, I'd say, for a very long time without knowing any of the lyrics apart from the, the most obvious ones. Um, but I think we'll come to this all the way through. This is probably the most I've been interested in the, in looking at what's actually been written in the lyrics throughout any episode of Tummel. But I think what's in, interesting is the, the starry quality to his voice, which is so... Um, it's It's so... I don't want to say elfin, but like astral or beautiful. Like you can almost sort of like have like images of like Lord of the Rings coming up in your head when Jonas starts singing on this. That starry quality makes his lyrics very speculative and very, you can go off in lots of different uh, directions. And even simple lines, like there's one bit here where he says, I don't care, I'm not there. Okay, very simple lyrics, obviously. But if you listen to the way he sings them, it has so much emotion. I don't know what emotion in it. Um, and I mean, I was trying to think of what what does this song what is this song about? A china berry tree um, is something that has fruit which apparently looks very nice, but then can be toxic or poisonous. So I think there might be ideas here of and that recur all the way through the album of relationships and someone appearing one way when actually they're not. And that's maybe one of the few themes that I can use to link together this album. If there is a story you have to do a hell of a lot of heavy lifting yourself to actually thread it through. And I don't think th that if you got the band and they sat down and said, right, this is an, an album all about a guy called Bill who this happens and he spots a chinaberry tree and then he walks past a grave and you're like, mm, this is rubbish. I don't like that. I just would rather have the journey that I go on with a little few helping hands from the band. That would be a good question to ask Jonas next time we see him. Uh, 
There's a there's a chance I'll see him next month. <laughs> so maybe there'll be an update in this section in 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 the future. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But I thought this is kind of world building. Uh, the first two tracks, it's building up this. It's interesting that you said Lord of the Rings because I I do get that fantasy vibe about the about the sound. Um, mm. And so I think it, it's the it's building up an atmosphere. Um, and that's no more evident in that dark, foreboding outro of Chinaberry Tree, mm. which is really um, long as well. A, like considering it's yeah, a good fifty track. to sixty seconds. Yeah. yeah, but it's really gorgeous, lovely, like lush synthesizer, and it almost feels like you've been through an al- a whole album experience by the end of track two. It's crazy, and um, I mean, also just I, I, I sort of was a bit reticent about bringing up Lord of the Rings. I don't want people to think of this album and think of swords and shields and you know the the blonging of Flengor or anything like that. I just mean like a sort of looking up into this into a star-strewn <laughs> sky and imagining right, Johnny, yourself going. Johnny, you d- you just went the blonging of ding right as if you don't know Lord of the Rings. Like I'm not letting you get away with that. <laughs> You're a nerd and you know Lord of the Rings very well. Not that well. You're the only. You you owned the audiobooks as a as a child. Were they read by Jim, was it Jim Dale that read them? Jim Jim Dale from from Carry On Films. I don't. I'm sure it was Jim Dale. Hang on, Phil. I've got it on Audible. I'll uh, I'll find out for you. Who's Phil? I like that. I was trying to make you look like a nerd, and now I've made myself look like even I more of a nerd. I definitely had the BBC cast production of The Hobbit, which was very good. But that was more Rob of a... Rob Inglis. Um, Jim Dale did the the American version of Harry Potter. I think, I think. Um, so uh, yeah, Rob Inglis. But Rob Inglis used to sing all the all the tunes. And if I have to sleep with audiobooks on, mm. and any time um, Rob Inglis starts singing, it wakes me up. And I'm like, oh god, I want to just skip like ahead five minutes because the songs go on forever. But you you definitely know Lord of the Rings terminology, so don't be pulling stuff like that again. All right, or Kristen Fohammer then, or whatever. That's from The Hobbit, actually. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Let's go <laughs> Only nerds listen to this podcast, so I'm sure we've offended quite a few of them. No, no one's listening to this episode. <laughs> I, 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 I think we'll have some decent listens for this one. Oh, I hope so. I do hope so. Uh, anyway, track number three. Why are you looking grave at three minutes fifty? It, this one is a single. It was released on the sixth of February two thousand and six. Um, and there's still been no break in the music so far. No, nope. uh, very much um, catapulted from one song to the next. This one has a, it's got those really nice vocals that come in and seem almost kind of spectral or almost spooky, which I guess suits for this song. Why are you looking grave? And you'll also know it's very early on that a new. Are you on about Jay Mascus though? No, no, more, no. There's more gravelly was gonna, voice on this. I was just going to talk about him. Yeah, he very early on he comes in. And it's such an unusual but welcome contrast to Jonas's voice. He's got a very different style of singing, and I think it works very well. He's got a more grainy, gravelly style. And he, he doesn't sound like he's... You know, he sounds weary, which really fits with, with this song. But the energy overall in this song, with the tremolo guitar, the like, drums, like which sound to me like they're flying. That's the only word I can use. I, I told you I'm going to be very speculative and silly when describing this album. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how flying drums sound if I'm honest. Like this. <laughs> I, yeah, it's hard to describe. It's like there's just a sense of motion. I don't feel like I'm just sat in a studio with some guy going like, okay, Silas, take three. Like It sounds like <laughs> we're, we're shooting off somewhere. Okay. I've not I've not taken tra- anything a before transcendent this. quality. 
<clears throat> There's a transcendent quality to it. There you go. Yeah, that's fine. I, I wish I'd taken a lozenge before this. Well, uh, I, I'm Stone Cold Sober is um, what's a face once sung, <laughs> and um, but this is what the music does to you. It's, you don't you don't need anything mind altering when you've got this. I don't know how I don't know if we've ever talked about this album in, in depth either, which is um, an interesting one for us. Um, I love the chunky bass line in in this. It's almost yep. an, antagonistic, and really, um, it's kind of a juxtaposition to Jonas's vocals in particular, because yep. Jonas's vocals are so airy and light and beautiful and melodic, and then you just get that big chunky distortion heavy bass line yeah. it's like oh it, it it is it's like it's like they're competing for attention a little bit yeah and the, the effect that you get just works really well again just builds the atmosphere more and more and more i like jay masks uh, voice i i'd never thought to actually look him up before uh today but it it's um it is very good he's a very different vibe to mew yeah, I would, I would Dinosaur say Junior is the band he's from originally, I think. Right. Well, I've never heard of them. Um, but it just, everything builds up. A lot of different things that you wouldn't think to put next to each other really work. It's like a banana and bacon sandwich. Mm. It shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, that, that picking style that's being used on the guitar is... It's, I would describe it as, as, as tremolo and it's where you get your hand very very close to the um, strings and you're going back and forth back and forth in a very gritty grimy sort of way which is why you get that you know and obviously the bass is following that as well but yeah you're right against Jonas's voice that's a, an interesting contrast and I'll, let's have a look at some of the lyrics so the um, the chorus which is very melodic is your mouth is hiding, you've got smiling eyes, softly dividing what they see in your face from what you feel like inside. That's one example of one of the choruses. And I think one of the reasons maybe I got into this album as much as I did at the time, I think, like everything, it, it depends on what emotional stage you're at in your life, how your development is going, all that other kind of stuff. But this does feel like a teen angst song hiding inside a more arty and brilliant song so it's not an obvious kind of like teeny angst i'm angry kind of screw the world sort of thing but there are a lot of themes on this album that are very teen angst about growing up about people hiding things about people not showing a darker side to themselves and i think that's that's maybe why i really like this song and you know why are you looking grave you can imagine them uh, that being asked to some sort of miserable teenager who's got a big dark coat on and long hair which both of which i had at this time so there we go yeah it's in um not that we should go down a psychology route but i think it is important to acknowledge the dark side of you know your, your personality and your darker thoughts like anytime i'm at your house i i really want to cut off all the ends of your socks so that when you put your foot in, you end up wearing knee pads. It's um, it's you know, it's a it's a strange urge, but yeah. one that I've um, mostly been able to um, keep inside so far. Freudians, please give us your interpretation of that, or indeed Jungians. Anyone who thinks uh, that you want to say something <laughs> about that, I'm sure there's some deep trauma that Tyler's not worked out there. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I do I do like to use the joke with my nephew. Um, uh, how many um, have you got? Any holes in your socks? And he goes, "No." I say, "Well, how'd you put them on then?" And uh, I've been getting him with that one for several years. <laughs> mm. 
one day he's going to turn around and hit me in the face. <laughs> Good. Um, maybe with a, a sock with a, uh, a with a snooker ball inside. Um, yeah. Right. So uh, Fox Cub, then only a mere one minute fifteen. I, I would say that this again, it's 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 something that seamlessly transitions from three into four, but a very a really great understanding of pacing on this album. It's just it's. I'm just gonna like say it's good, but it's just so well put together. You are you can sit this on in the car, and normally when you listen to an album, by the time you might get to tracks three and four or five, then you might be feeling like oh, we've got over the singles now. Things are starting to these are the weaker sort of songs, but this it doesn't work like that. You're just taking on a journey. Yeah, you couldn't be if you, if that is how you you're feeling at track four, you couldn't you really couldn't be more wrong. Um, I, I I would advise I advise to take every album for a walk. Definitely take this one for a walk. Uh, it will it will surprise you. Uh, but this uh, Fox Club was I think this is the first gap in music. This is the first point where we haven't had any sound for a, a second. You know, so um, so that's the first musical break that you get. Kind of yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say my bit about CDs, so I've not really got anything else to say about Fox, uh, Fox well, Club. I, Epic building to the next track, though. Yeah, but let's just, let's not just skip over the Fox Club too quickly. I know it's only my it could be described as one of the minor tracks on this album, um, although that's not to you know disparage it or anything like that. I really like this, and I, I really like how Jonas's voice. When most people describe Mew to other people, the first thing they're going to talk about is Jonas's voice. I would imagine they might mention the guitars sound quite shoegazery and sound a bit like um, my bloody valentine or other bands of that of that ilk but i think mostly it's here's jonas's uh voice and it's often described as high pitched but that's often not true he's either doing high pitched and another vocal or he's doing something like this where he's got a lovely low register to it which has got so much um character to it um so this song has a lot of kindness and a lot of cruelty into it it, it begins with the phrase no more trying and it does feel in its kind of melancholy way like it's about just giving up and someone abandoning you and there's a lot of imagery in here which is just which is sad and about being lied to which again I, i'd never really looked into this before before reviewing this album in, in in a bit more depth but it does seem quite quite angsty to me and then we move into this idea of apocalypso which is is like after that melancholy then there's an an outburst of rage or at least energy so yeah apocalypso uh, this was a first single wasn't it timer uh looking at the dates i believe you're right it was released on july the 18th 2005 and it's 4 minutes 46 seconds yeah. Yep. It was the first single. Yeah. Okay. So, um, first of all, it's a very weird track name. I originally kept calling it Apocalypto because of that Mel Gibson film, or I've definitely re- referred to it as Apocalypto by accident. But it is Apocalypso, which um, is a kind of melding of two words: apocalypse, obviously, so end times, the unveiling, the revelation of God, um, Armageddon, all that kind of jazz. But then also Calypso which could either be that sort of fun steel drum drum music that you get. Um, I was going to say, or Clippos, but that, that's that's the type of ice cream that you can have. Um, or the uh, the goddess in um, Pirates of the Caribbean 3. <laughs> Calypso. Yeah. 
You better stop believing in ghost stories, Miss Swan. You're in one. <laughs> and yeah, he went from Calypso straight into doing Barbosa or whatever it is. What's he called? Barbarossa? Yeah, because Bar- uh, no, Barbosa says uh, Calypso. He's, he's, he do, they do like a ceremony to release you from your earthly bonds. Okay, well, I mean... It's so quotable, that f- those films. They're all absolute tripe, but it, they are very, very quotable. Yeah, I, I like the first one, um, but then the, I think it's diminishing returns, really. So, the, uh, yeah, and the, oh, there's, uh, there's also Calypso, the nymph from the Odyssey, who keeps Odysseus trapped for seven, well, not trapped, but sort of in a sort of stupor for seven years and not letting him go back to uh, to see Penelope, his wife. So do any of those things. Naomi matter? Harris, Naomi Harris, that's who plays Yeah, she Calypso. plays Moneypenny, doesn't she? Yeah, she does, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so, I mean, do, what do all of those things mean? Well, not really seemingly anything. Um, it's definitely a very dark song, a very strong song, and it's got a lot of power to it. But for me, this is a song where the lyrics are the most challenging and absolutely weird. So I would always hear this song. What What's the first line to this song, Tyler? Can you remember what the first line is? Or what would you hear in, in, in this song? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm really bad with, with Mew and lyrics. Um, mm. what do you hear it as? Well, I hear it as in modern times. I definitely don't hear it as that. You, well, well, if if you if you hear this song, it begins with the phrase "in Nolan time." Okay, and that's really after, yeah. I've checked that, and I thought, is that just someone mishearing something in Nolan time? Now, I, I tried to do a bit of digging on this, and apparently, Jonas's dentist might have been called Nolan time. That, to me, doesn't wash very well, but maybe that's true. But it feels like these are purposefully obfuscatory lyrics. Um, And now, this is probably just coincidence, but I've been reading a bit of Sylvia Plath this week, and she's got lyrics that are very dark, often to do with themes of depression, madness, death, that sort of thing, things going to hell. But there is absolute madness in here, and it seems like they're they're doing a similar thing that, that Plath would do. So you end up with lines like, Black waves come, and so fear me, December. Sinking waltz with me courageously. That genuinely, you could, you could, if someone told me that that was just lifted from a Sylvia Plath poem, and I didn't know it was Mew, I mean, I would obviously recognise it because you don't forget a line like fear me, December, very easily. But it just feels like it's those sort of lyrics, and you don't need, I don't want someone to come out and say, Oh, don't you know, this is about this. It's about his dentist. And when he saw a black wave once, it was when he went on holiday in 1952. I want basically just, I like being in the swirling madness of this song, basically. Uh, I've just, I've just listened to it. I think I've, I think what I've assumed it is, is in no one mind. Well, I mean, that would describe the song because it's very all over the place and yeah. there's not one, th- one clear theme. But it's it's really strange for me to listen to a band and not question lyrics or not want to know them. Like, so it's a strange power that they've got over me that mm. I can just ignore who I am essentially. <laughs> but there's there's I think that it's weird because every single thing that he sings, he sings it with a sort of energy and sincerity that you feel like yeah. this means something and. it's just nice to inhabit the song and and feel it's a different song every time you hear it rather than have it it all be explained really clearly and yeah it's a really it sounds powerful musically it sounds powerful 
and uh, that's really driven by Silas with such heavy drums. I he he does hit those drums hard. Yeah. Like uh, possibly Ronnie Venucci Jr. from the Killers is the like. When I saw him live, I was surprised at how how much attack he had on the yeah. drum. I think uh, Larry from U2 is often noted as you know being very powerful, but I think he's more controlled. And he's he's powerful when he needs to be, but he's also subtle when he needs to be. But when I when I saw Ronnie Venucci Jr. live, there was so much attack that it was it, it, I I thought there might be something wrong with him. Like and it was a genuine concern. And I when when Silas is really drumming like in this song, it's so impressive. Mm. I can't drum to save my life. I, I struggle with the four four beat. Mm. But when when you watch these these amazing drummers, it, it's 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 really impressive. I'm surprised there aren't more drummers that are actually the frontmen because sometimes they're the most interesting person to watch on yeah. stage. I would say that I think Silas is probably or Silas, however we're going to say it, is a better drummer than both Larry and Ronnie Venucci. Like that might that might be wrong, but technically, I think he's an absolute wizard, and his consistency when I've seen him live is has been has been really impressive. And I really like the fact that there are choices made that makes make the song so much more interesting. Um, in Apocalypso, there's just that little pause before the chorus comes in properly. And he says, Caroline, Caroline, that little pause really makes the song hit really well. It gives it an unnatural feel. And all the way through this album, the choices he make, he seems to be, whenever you could say, right, live and in future, considering I've probably got to play this song a hundred or a thousand times after this point, should I make the interesting choice or should I make the easy choice? And it feels like he's always gone for the interesting choice. And it isn't just overly complicated for the sake of it. We're not dealing with like prog rock or stupid jazz um, stuff here. It's just really, really good. Yeah. Would you say this has an industrial sound to it? It's as It feels as heavy as a lot of heavier tracks. Like there's definitely tracks by industrial bands that I don't think kick this hard. Yeah, I think if you take Jonas out of Mew, and you know you put in um, what I would, you know, what I would say is a more traditional, you know, male voiced singer, um, I I struggle to see how they're not in like the same league as Nine Inch Nails and you know that that ilk. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, have a hard rock following. Obviously, I prefer it this way, but it's. I, I don't understand why there aren't more metalheads that love this stuff. You've got at times some of the you know, the best heavy riffs going, I would say. If you look at a song like say Snow Brigade, very heavy. Um song like uh Candy Pieces All Smeared Out. Is that the name of that song on visuals? Terrible name for a song. <laughs> I think so. But I, very, I very heavy, so, yeah. heavy, you know, guitar. But then you'll find the track that comes up next and it's got a beautiful off kilter rhythm or even like this song calypso rhythms in it halfway through which is which is weird so it's it's just more interesting than than you can think about that you don't get a sense that they reached track six and went right let's just record a few more and send it off bish bash bosh let's get it done every single thing and every part of this feels like they're operating on a let's make an absolute masterpiece here let's not just make an album and that's what comes across to me. I might be, some other people might listen to this and think, oh, it's a bit overblown. But to, to me, if you, if you're yeah, not going to do that, I, what's I the hope point? People do, I hope people, we are convincing people, and I hope people do see what we see in this. Well, you know, if not, feel free not to listen. <laughs> you know, I hope we're not wrong. <laughs> 
But we certainly won't be wrong about the next track. We know you'll like this because, uh, well, the only way you don't like this song is if you're dead. And um, it's track six. It's special. It's three minutes 12. And it was released on the 19th of September 2005, which is the same date as the album. I think that's strange. <laughs> Care to elaborate on that or just, just going to leave that? Well, to bring a single out on the same day as the album. Yeah. Like bringing a single out about a few weeks before. Surely. A weird time in music, though, at this point. We were definitely mid-transition at this point between the physical and the purely digital. This was... So I think everyone can be forgiven for trying new stuff, doing weird things. Either way, I bought both. Um, So... (laughs) um, This is... I, I think probably the most poppy hit to yep. date. Would you agree well, we with put that? put it at the start of the episode, so. And I used yeah. it to promote um, them on, on Twitter. Yeah. Um, for me, it's a song that's never got old. It still seems as fresh and as vital as the first time I heard it. Uh, and this is a, pl- a song that I've overplayed, um, but I still really enjoy mm. hearing it. Um. It's music to make you move. It's you're yep. really gonna struggle to just sit in a chair uh, and um, passively listen to this song. Sorry if I just bang the microphone there, but you, I haven't well, done you're it dancing, in, in episodes. You? I am dancing, yeah. Me and memory of special. <laughs> um, so uh, the main lyric in in the chorus is "You're special. You're like a rocket through me." Now, why that? While that's not necessarily how. Um, how to say this? Uh, a a nat- uh, so someone who English is the first language. Clearly not me, um, but I don't think that's how you would say that sentence. But it has all the same impact. And when when you meet somebody or when you listen to a band uh, like me, me listening to Mew, it is like how, it's like I've got rocket fuel flowing through mm-hmm. me. It just takes me to a different place um and and gives me a lot of adrenaline and it's sonically just amazing i'm about to spontaneously combust (laughs) that's what's about to happen just while talking about this song but i love the ambiguity of the line you're special you're like a rocket through me i think i know what that means but because it's written uh, in a kind of broken English way, and I'm, I'm I'm trying to be delicate with my language though because I I really love Mew and uh, and I love this song, but I don't know how else to explain yeah. that. Uh, I'm, I'm, help me out, Johnny. You're you're better with words. <laughs> um, well, I I initially when I was getting into them was thinking, okay, are these lyrics weird just because this is a singer and a lyricist who. English is obviously the second language, but I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think they purposefully like using strange language. I mean, I don't think they they wrote Apocalypso, for example, and thought, "Yep, that makes sense." You know, I think they definitely like to use odd metaphors and imagery and similes. Like here, you're you're like a rocket through me, and yeah, I think I I yeah. know what that feels like to me, but I don't know how I could explain it in a way that doesn't seem a bit deficient. You know, just as a well, it means this particular feeling. Yeah. Um, another lyrically interesting thing about this is the word agarina, which is used in the as a kind of uh, I don't know what it'd be like a sort of repeated motif or or 
there's a word for it which I can't remember. Yeah, you know, something that's sung and they keep repeating it through the song. Uh, do you know what agarina means? Yeah. Uh, I I really don't. Um, I actually didn't even know this was a word in the song until recently. I just thought they were just going ba 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 ba. What did you think that word I was? Think, I thought they were just singing a, a, a more like a noise really rather than rather than a um. Or maybe him saying, I don't really, I can't really mind or something like that. I don't know. Um, but Agarina apparently is, apparently, um, is a Japanese word for come in. And it's meant to be quite an informal or very inviting way of saying it. So it's, it's not formal or, or stiff. It's meant to be a, an inviting thing. Agarina. And uh, Silas has apparently said, not Silas, I keep saying Silas because we're talking about drums so much. Uh, Jonas has said apparently this song is um, has a lot to do with sexuality. Um, it definitely has that kind of vibe and beat to it that would seem in that area. So I think that maybe is what's adding to the quality of the song. I would love to just do a social experiment of going to a you know a, a, an indie or rock club when they are properly reopened and just dropping this in halfway through the night around about 12.30, just between more well-known songs and just seeing after that initial confusion of what is this, once the bass line and the drums get going... Would that make people dance these days? And by Jove, I think it would. There are so there are so many things that would need to happen. I you actually wanting to go to a for club. a social experiment? Sign me up, and I would go home straight away afterwards. Be, be a DJ that would be willing to play it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, this is so much. It's not. It's never going to happen, is it? Uh, um, so I want to talk about another word. Uh, it's the word awry, which I believe is used as a bit of a contronym in in this one. Uh, so there's a lyric that goes, "There's a taste that you can't shake, but you can't seem to let them go awry." Mm. Now we would normally think of the word awry as things going yep. wrong, but I think. He's using it in a way that means going awry would actually mean it's going the right way. Mm. Do you get that? Let me think about this, the line again. There's a taste that you can't mm. shake, but you can't seem to let them go awry. Could could be either. Yeah, it just it um again just looking at the lyrics. I spent sixteen years not looking at new lyrics and. Uh, <laughs> Now I'm going to spend the next sixteen analysing them, and well, what a what a what a waste of life. Well, the 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 connection from Apocalypso into this is very enjoyable, and I think this section here, this suite of songs, I would say from Fox Cub to the end of Zookeeper's Boy, is the the most that they've clearly thought about how can we make this one continuous piece of glorious music and there's not a weak link in that chain for me i think it really does you hit the centerpiece of the album at the zuki at the zookeeper's boy at track seven and it's so much more powerful for the fact that you've been on that journey from fox cub to zookeeper's boy i mean obviously you could just say say if you've got a friend who wants to listen to mew for the first time and they're into metal I would stick Apocalypse on, definitely. And I would just play that in isolation and see what they thought of it. And I would pick special for a different kind of person, Zookeeper's Boy for a different kind of person. But as a suite of songs... Yeah, there's there's lots of there's lots of um, different ways into them. It's just we all seem to have the same start with with mm. special, I think. Wait, was special not the first one you heard? Was it? Did you just hear the album? I think the first? very first song I ever heard 
um I think the first, I mean, remember, this is um, David playing this for me in the car. I think the very first one he played, and he'd probably contradict this now, is Zookeeper's Boy. And I was just bowled over by by the the, lyric, the, the melody and the, and the style of his voice, which is, in, you know, it's just incredibly powerful if you've never heard it before. Um, but then I think once I was on board with that, it was like, right, let's go back to Circuitry of the Wolf now and let's do this properly. But again, I might be misremembering the past there. It's a good job he didn't ruin that for you. No. Good. <laughs> uh, right, so uh, are we on Zookeeper's Boy? Have you done the intro for it? Zookeeper's Boy at 4 minutes 43 seconds. Released on the 17th of April, 2006. Yeah, this is where I think something that has been going on throughout the album is actually made most apparent where it hasn't it, it hasn't maybe struck you so much i think it will definitely now in the verses of this song that's where you might start to notice that pretty much every time jonas is singing a melody line it's been doubled by a piano or some other instrument usually a light piano here um i think that comes across really strongly in in the verse uh, the video for this um i can't think of the song without thinking about the video which has got a lot of lights and it's very well shot it's got the band playing um, and there's lots of works of art and golden light all around them. And it, it's just a really enjoyable, epic song. I think some new fans probably have got a bit bored of this song now, just as it's maybe this is the pride for new fans that we have um, for you too, you know, that just sick of a, a particular song. But it is epic. It is brilliant. And the collision of all these voices together makes this particularly live one of the most huge songs you can hear yeah um I, I, so with the last two tracks the lyrics are a little bit more intelligible yep. do you think that's because they are singles uh, maybe or the singles because of that i think i think these are singles purely because of melody and catchiness and i think you can come out of reading the zookeepers boy lyrics as i did and not really come away i don't come away with a, a story necessarily and I, I i think you could do this and I, I know that people have made the attempt to do that with 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 this you know they've said it's about this or that theme or there's a character who's going on this and that journey i think fine you, you can do that but it to me it just all comes down to that line um are you my lady are you which is repeated all the way through and there's i don't need to know any more about the song than that really it's someone asking are we together or not? It's a proposition and also a a sort of taking of the weather and the temperature. The, you know, this could be at the start of a relationship or halfway through or the very end of it, you know. Yeah, there's, there's a, a fearful innocence about yeah. it. Um, where you even like uh, th this character, the protagonist, could be very much in love, but questioning, is this the relationship that's going to last? Is this the one that's going to, you know... Uh, go on for the rest of my life mm. um, and obviously some people feel like that and then it turns out that it's not that um, and I I think that's just, just a li lovely little emotion that's a, a tricky one and something you can never know uh, life is full of mysteries <laughs> true well I was just going to say you were saying the lyrics are a bit more intelligible on one level yes but I yeah. mean let us not forget and I'll just I'm just going to look these up so we can get it completely right let us not forget that this song contains it gets a little bit con congested in the in the chorus. Yeah, I know so that. it contains a line, you're tall just like a giraffe, 
you have to climb to find its head. But if there's a glitch, you're an ostrich. You've got your head in the sand. <laughs> Which I've, I remember singing along to this and, you know, live and feeling every every syllable of it. But I'm, you know, dumbfounded to tell you exactly what it means. So you're tall just like it's a, a bit giraffe. of an intellectual tortoise. Oh, sorry? It's a bit of an intellectual tortoise. <laughs> One of Bono's best lyrics. I, yeah, I I prefer this, even though this is this is clearly quite <laughs> surreal and almost Monty Python esque. Um, that was the lyric, wasn't it? For in um, uh, an intellectual, intellectual t- toy toys. Yeah, it's from All Because of You. That song <laughs> makes him sound a hundred years old, even when he wasn't even that old at that point. I don't think that song's aged well at all. No, no, not not, not at all. No. Um, unlike this one, no. which has a beauty and a vulnerability to it. Just... A Dark Design, track number eight, at three minutes 29. As I said, this is the last from side A, but if I mean, if I was going to be mixing or deciding on where things fall on this album, I would say once you've done Zookeeper's Boy, you, you, that's, you, know, you feel you've got to the end of something. You know, you've got beyond the hits and now we're ready for a big epic second half a a different darker uh, song pattern it's certainly time to reset but um i'm gonna go i'm gonna run and get the vinyl because i don't i'm not sure if that is where they well, cut very it. happy to be um, proved wrong or most likely right I'll be, I'll be i'll be one minute i'll leave you in the very capable hands of my good friend johnny Right, so I face a choice here now. Do I decide to try and fill for an entire minute solo, or do I just cut off what I'm saying mid-sentence and skip ahead to when Tyler returns with said piece of vinyl? Tricky decision, yeah. That's a, it's, it's one of the more tough ones I've made today. Uh, tea or coffee, marmalade or, or jam. These are the, the ones so far, but never a decision as difficult as this one. I could probably actually just talk about the song, couldn't I? But then I'd be, I'd be, I'd just be end up repeating myself by the time Tyler gets back. Tricky. Um, oh, but here he is. I managed to do it for a whole minute, and um, I'm sure Tyler will love what I've just been talking about. <laughs> yep. I dread yep. to think. Um, so yeah, Zookeeper's Boy, and then a dark design, and that's the end of side A. So side B starts with Saviors. <laughs> That was that was worth a journey to the other room, wasn't it? Went all the way downstairs for you. <laughs> and is that the reissue uh, vinyl? <laughs> yeah, it did. It never came out um, on uh, record at first. It was just CD. But and there download. has been a um, recent anniversary reissue, a fifteen-year anniversary one, hasn't there? Yeah, this was the record store day one from. A few years back, 2016. Oh. Uh, it's got a lovely big poster in there and a see-through But, but is record. it a poster of the album cover itself? Yeah, I think it's all the faces. Yeah. Um, not a good cover, I would say. Although, you know, I, st- I still like it. I, I don't mind it. I like it. it in a way because I, because I like the record so much. But I'd, if, if they'd said this is, you know, look, this is the album. And then I said... And they say, oh, th- and this is the artwork. I would have gone, can we not do something a bit better than that? I like how dark and shiny the album I is. I-, I definitely like that. And it's certainly, considering Fringes had a very bright cover, front cover, again, with a weird image on the front. I think, I think you, for considering that they've got a large graphic artist component to them, 
they don't do the best album covers, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, I don't like the logo. I think that's really hard to read. I think I think someone could look at that and think that they're called Mel. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not much worse than Mew as the name for a band, anyway. <laughs> so, a dark design. This is, I would <laughs> yeah. say, um, it's quite a deceptive song. It's got a an odd opening. I don't know if it's a harmonium or something or some more traditional non-electronic um, instrument that opens it up. Jonas again is in is in a lower register, a lot quieter, and then it hits really strong. Um, and it's yeah, it, it does seem deceptive, which seems to fit with the with the themes of the song itself. Someone, um, a female character, it seems, who has a, a dark design or a duplicitousness. And I think that's, that's again, that theme of being betrayed or someone hiding something, hurting you emotionally, seems to be part of this album. Yeah. I, well, just, I was looking at it earlier thinking, a, a you know, a dark design, ADD. I was wondering if it was like an attention deficit disorder kind of thing. Uh, I don't think so. I mean... I didn't have t- I didn't have time to um because that was a very late re- recognition but I was just I I will now be analyzing the lyrics in in that way to see if it makes any sense. <laughs> like if all the letters spell out a secret message. <laughs> no, not like that, but it's just um a dark design it's just it's a, it's a strange title. Good title. Yeah. Uh but yeah, it's got yeah, it's that's that I would describe the opening as very sinister. Yeah, yeah, it does. And um, kind of seductive in its way. It says it opens up her blouse to the cool night air. And it, it feels like they choose more interesting words than you might first. Like like the rubbish version of this song will be called an evil plan. Whereas a dark design is a design is a much more ambiguous word. Dark is actually a much more ambiguous word as well. Um than what yeah. you could go for, and I, what, the favorite lyrics I've got on on here is is um, this bit where he says, "Everly, Everly, I, can you not look at me through sides? Everly, Everly, I, did you not summon up the kite?" Uh, this is also the the first mention of an actual kite on the on the album. I love the word "Everly," which feels like it means going on forever or finally. At the same time, I, I've never really heard someone say Everly, but it is it is a genuine word. It's not just a nonsense word that they've made up or anything. Um, so just lyrical choices are far more engaging and interesting and, and off-kilter than you would normally expect. What do you make of the album title, Tyler? Mew and the Glass-Handed Kites, or just and the Glass-Handed Kites? Well, most people I know just refer to it as Kites. That's true. Um Mew and the glass-handed tights. Mew and the glass-handed kites is, one, very difficult to say, and uh, two, it sounds like it's that's the title of the band, and that's the problem I've always had, you know. You oh, right, that? I see what you mean, like, as in, like, like, Jonas's Mew, and the other members are the glass-handed yeah, kites. The... Yeah, I'd never thought about that. Yeah. I think... I think the it's there was a bit of confusion when the album came out because I think it was listed early on as Mew and the Glass-Handed Kites, but then obviously you run into the problem of you, you know, you've got Mew uh, dash Mew and the Glass-Handed Kites. Um, it feels almost a bit like yeah. Harry Potterish as well, you know, like something and the 
you know flavor of the week that week you know the uh the silver fish <laughs> harry, po- harry potter and the flavor of the week <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> um but um in ter- no and the glass and the kite i don't yeah, know but, what yeah i was gonna say what that what does that make you think of um i don't know does kite have a, a, a Another meaning it's a bird. than the the, the as well um... as a, a thing that's flying. Oh, does yeah, it? A, a kite. Yeah, as, as, um, I think it's a, a bird that have, have usually been associated with carrion birds. Certainly in Macbeth, that's how uh, kites are represented. But um, as in a bird that eats eats you know corpses, that kind of thing. But the the weirdness of the language, and I mean, and this is sort of like emblematic of the whole album, which is why I think it works so well. You can read it in so many different ways. So is it that your hands are glass and you're holding a kite, which would obviously not hang around in your hand very long? Is it that the kites are glass themselves? Or I, d- I don't know. It, it just makes you think of it's it's almost like a a weird brain dissonance thing, which puts you in the right state to be ready to go into the album and say, right, I'm not going to get a story here, or at least not a, a clear story. Yeah, it's all nonsense, isn't oh, it? Talking bloody rubbish, aren't they, these new guys? <laughs> <laughs> Probably the reaction most people might have. Uh, well, speaking of absolute nonsense, uh, a dark design swirls up into Saviors of Jazz Ballet. And this is one of my favourite starts to a song ever. It's absolutely fantastically mad in the way that most people would approach a, the start of a song. It's a huge like synthesizer and instrument swell. And then Jonas's voice comes in with this epic line, we are the saviors of jazz ballet. And it's sung yeah. with complete sincerity, like they're the saviors of the world, you know. Um and I yeah, I love I love this song. I think it's 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 so over the top and kind of like saying, Yes, this is this is silly. But it's also incredibly sincere and meaningful at the same time. This would be a contender for a song that I would play to to somebody who hadn't heard Mew and you know wanted to gauge the reaction yeah. to it. It starts. It's an example of how unique Mew can be in terms of they don't do things that other bands do. They they're very happy to rearrange a song. Like this starts with a huge big mm. chorus and then it goes into the first yeah. verse and there's not many songs really do that but the the it re- it really works um, coming out of a dark design because the dark design builds up into series of jazz mm. ballet but it it the, the it's what am I trying to say here let's think um, while you're thinking of that. Can I just also say, <laughs> I just realised I've misquoted yeah. the first line. We are the defenders of jazz ballet, is what he says at the start, just for any Mew fans who are getting annoyed. Isn't it? Hey, fo- hey so, folks. So I'll read, the I'll read out the first, the first stanza for anyone who's not heard the song. We are the defenders of jazz ballet. People say, when they see us, hey folks, it's the saviours of jazz ballet. Fearless heroes of kick and spin. I could write a million songs for a million years and never come up with something that like consciously weird to to start off and and to sing it to sing a line like hey folks it's the saviors of jazz ballet and the way he sings it is it's just brilliant yeah they're operating on a different level which is the point i was trying i was trying to get to you just you just you don't 
we don't hear bands like this. There might there might be loads of them in Denmark, but there are out the UK charts, like you just saw when I read it out. They're not filled with with Danish people, mm. and perhaps they should well, be. Considering uh, old crap. Too, too much hippity hoppity in there Which for me. It's just bad songs, I think. I mean, I, there were things I liked. Like, for example, I really like Dare in there from Gorillaz, which is a kind of mad song in itself and has a mad video. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, there, that was not my music scene. It's Dare. Yeah, it's Dare. Um, this has a line in it as well where he says, the, it's the last line, actually. He says, hollow hearts make for pleasant lives. Now, that to me almost seems like a good way to sum up this album. I think there's loads of hurt on this album. I think there's lots of sadness. And I, I and as I think particularly as you get towards the end, it gets not just as a great record with great songs, but it becomes something that gets weirdly emotional, even though there's not that much more clarity on it. But he says, um, I said, hollow hearts make for pleasant lives. I think that's an interesting way of thinking about it. And that idea of, ignorance is bliss or if you don't feel very much if your heart is kind of hollow then you might have a very nice little fun life whatever and you have neither particularly big ups or downs you know you just sort of live at a general level and and look many people might just want that but i think that's the opposite to what new do here i think they've got very full hearts and you could imagine some sneery critic saying well, this is all a bit overblown, isn't it? Isn't this a bit silly? Particularly in 2006 when there was a lot of um, back-to-basics guitar band revival stuff that, you know, rawness and, quote, authenticity were the most important things. But this, to me, is exactly what I needed at, at this time of, of, of being at college, almost being at university, and just wanting something to match that kind of adolescent swell of emotions, you know, and... and that's why I would say, hey, folks, it's the saviors of jazz ballet. I think it's a vulnerability that you're reacting to. Yeah. And that may come straight from Jonas's voice because it it is higher pitched than um, I suppose would be the standard. Mm. But we're kind of conditioned when we hear a high pitch voice to sense a vulnerability, like an Alan Jones figure or a Michael Jackson figure. Mm. Uh, the, because because the the voices are h- higher pitched, we we put on a vulnerability to that that that, ne- that might not necessarily be the yeah. Um, also weird that I love this song considering I like neither ballet nor jazz in particular. You know, nothing against them, but just not not things that do do anything for me. But I guess you're trying to think well what would a savior of jazz ballet look like like how could you imagine that superhero it's it's kind of odd uh we then go into the hidden instrumental it's not really hidden because it's just sort of part of the track uh fear me december which links back to apocalypto apocalypso god damn you mel gibson um and this has a real darkness to it at the end there's a sort of static quality uh, which i think feeds in beautifully to the next song an envoy to the open fields. Again, we've got vocals guested by Jay Ma- uh, Massis, and it's three minutes 40. This is one of my favorite songs ever, and it's another one of those situations where, a bit like with Unforgettable Fire, I know I will not do justice to how I feel about this song. So why don't you tell me what you think of this song so far, T? Um, summary, um, I've described the drums as and the bass as being like a heartbeat... Now, a lot of my my review of this is just very visual. Like that time of 
being around Rivington listening to Special, yep. I imagine my heart wasn't absolutely pounding at the time because that would have been a cause for concern. But in my when I look back at that time, I get that adrenaline rush, and that's when my heart starts to beat. You know, to beat when I looking back at it. So the pounding drums and bass line in this song mm. really make me think of how more powerful a memory can actually be than the initial um, event. Yeah. So that's I, I, maybe I'm not making sense. Mew don't make sense, and I've never tried to make sense of my fandom of Mew before and obviously I'm struggling it, I apologize it's a tricky one to do it's very tricky to do I think and I think that's a testament to how good the album is if you go from Saviors of Jazz Ballet or rather the last bit which is Fear Me December there's a lot of static and blackness and it almost feels like you know when a when a TV is sort of fuzzing back when TVs did such things and then you imagine it winking out into, into, into you know all those little bits of white going into blackness and it's almost like a starscape and it goes into total yeah. black. Then when this song comes on, and it's just those massive chords, genuinely, right? I, if if I don't believe in the afterlife, right? But if I died, and then there's that blackness, and then suddenly there's a massive shot of white light that just drenches my entire being, right? This would be what I would imagine to be the soundtrack, the start of this song, not the rest of it with the with the bass, which is when it falls back into a different kind of rhythm. But just that bit there is is so huge, and yeah, it's 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 just one of the best pieces of music I've I've ever heard. It also has a repeat of those chords later on when it says "collide with me," and that's another one of those things that of candidates. Um, I'm never going to get a tattoo, but if I were to have to have one, "collide with me" might be one of the things. Just because I love it in the song so much, and I think there's so much ambiguity into you know a collision or a meeting of two things. It could be ideas, it could be people, it could be good, it could be bad, and yeah, just I just really like that that um, that idea of, of collision in here. Yeah, I feel like they're not out of ideas. I feel like there's different sounds coming through still at, at this point as well. Mm. But I had to, I did make note of uh, Jonas's pronunciation in the line assigned to ascertain the find. Mm. Uh, he sings that in a way which you just. I I don't think an English speaking singer would ever do that. It he breaks up the words and really makes them fit. Whereas, I think well when we write songs, I would change the 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 lyrics yeah. to make it fit more. But Jonas has this ability to really make any line fit. You know, he can make a square peg fit a triangle hole if he wants to. Yeah. And he's not. He, he doesn't allow himself to be held back by anything. Yeah, and it's it's just really impressive and really interesting. It leads to more as, interesting as melodies a, as, as well. vocalist to hear that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and that it's uh, we're gushing. We're gushing so much. Well, it's fine. I'm, I'm happy to gush. <laughs> Is what do you, what do you what do you least like about this album? Not the the cover. I've said so. The cover's rubbish. Just the, just the cover. Um, right. we'll just bring it on that point. Uh, the lyrics I was interested in were the, were these ones, which kind of fits with what you're saying. In the corners of eyes, I'll stretch the sky in blue. And I'm thinking you're made for me. And I'm thinking of the things you said. So I like that idea of in mm. the corners of eyes, I'll stretch the sky in blue. That sounds like that idea of stretching things to fit or creating weird images in people's, not in the center of their vision, but in the corner of their vision. Um, and then you've got a line 
the, those second lines and i'm thinking you're made for me and i'm thinking of the things you said those in could be in rubbish disposable pop songs because they're just quite straightforward especially the line i'm thinking you're made for me which sounds almost like it would be part of one of those summer indie hits about you know romance on a beach that kind of thing but because it's in this context it's so much more interesting yeah i do you know what just talking about them i'm reminded of that paul mcginnis quote about oasis they they don't seem to care in the slightest whether you like them or not they're just so distinctly mew yeah and they've got the confidence to be mew and that is a really endearing thing Mm. And you can see- and and then you meet and then you meet them in the lovely lovely little boys. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Well, they're they're a few, they've got a couple of years on us anyway, and um, yeah. yeah. And I think if you if you go back to um, they're, they're also a band that they they really do worth they're worth going back. It's worth going back to the first album, A Triumph for Man, and seeing how even at a very young age they had clear epic ambitions they weren't happy with writing this same three chord verse chorus verse chorus nonsense that i was writing for example and continued to write until i was about you know 18 before i just gave everything up anyway um band wise Mm. so they're just they've got such ambition and it's that kind of thing that just to drag us back very tendentially back uh, tendentially back to you too it's that sort of ambition that I wish we would listen back to this and think, okay, you said in 2005 or six that you like this album. Why don't you guys try and do something more interesting a bit like this? I'm not saying try and sound like you. I'm saying, why don't you try and mix it up a bit? Okay, so track 11, small ambulance, one minute, five seconds. This is a bit of a smaller scale callback or um, version I would say of circuitry of the wolf, very, very similar guitar lines. Um, But it it, it still manages to be its own thing. It's a bit of a sorbet song. It's only just over a minute or so. And because it's all in the title for me, it's just, you can imagine this little tiny ambulance, maybe not itself small, but being seen from a a distance, just going through country fields with a tiny little bell ringing um, on 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 a dark night. And that's that's what I see every time I think about this song. It's such a weird song. It's a bit of a reset that you know carries through the final part of the album. Yes, and it's, it's uh, necessary and that, that's as well. the way I choose to see it. Yeah. However, I would really like it if ambulances changed that horrible siren to this tune. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, and I suppose if you were if you were if your life was eking out at the end, you'd be like, "Oh, this is a good song. Maybe I'll maybe I'll listen to the rest of the album at some point." Then yeah. before you know it, you're listening to Envoy as you die and go into the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So track 12, um, The Seething Rain Weeps For You, which includes Uda Bruder. Um, Yeah. <laughs> the way you said it there made me think it sounded like older brother. I looked up Uda Bruder and I couldn't get, I couldn't get any <laughs> translation. Could you? Uh, I didn't even try, mate. Yeah. Um, this is this is a, 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 an interesting song. Again, the word seething is is a, a good choice because rather than it just saying the weeping rain or the hissing rain, which are a bit more straightforward, seething is usually seething is related to that idea of of anger. So to me, this builds in what what is an angry rain or one that seethes, and maybe that makes me feel like acid rain, that that kind of thing. It. I think the sound is the same. The sound of, of seething, you know, gritted teeth. <sighs> you know a bit of i don't know if you can the microphone's picking that up but 
you know, like that seething kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That little bit of air that it comes out when you've when you uh, grit your teeth, mm. and I think the the rain does sound a little bit like that. So good imagery. I like this. Um, to me, it it feels like a closer song. If if this album um were to just be twelve tracks, I mean, a it would still be a very good album, a much weaker one, but it would be a good album. Um, but it just has the vibe of a closer song to me. And especially as in we've got the lyrics saying goodbye now, looking at friends. It feels to me like it's always like kind of stopping. Um, it's it's a nice song. It's probably the one that I forget about most easily on this whole album. Even though it's got quite a fast pace to it and it begins with kind of a sonic punch in the face. But by this time, you've already had so many big moments um that this one doesn't register as high on the sonic richter scale for me um really i i've been loving this i i, I almost feel like this is the climax of the album in a way uh, in t- if you if you imagine it this is the last song of the main set and then the next few tracks are the encore mm. i i just i think the way that the track exp- explodes and the 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 band are just playing so so big together. Yeah. I I kind of I'm, I'm beginning to see this is is the, the the last bit of the main album and then yeah. everything else is encore. It's definitely got that uh, so feel it, to it. The, the the even the melody of that it feels much more like a we're winding down the album go away that sort of stuff. Is that a, a song that you'd like to write if you were a rock star? We're finishing the album now. Go away. <laughs> yeah, f off and go home. I don't. Want to be, I don't want to be impolite. I just want to be clear. Um, one thing that I noticed in this, and maybe uh, any Mew fanatics that have stumbled um, onto this album, and you know, apologies if you have, um, and this review, I mean. Um, there's it seems like there's almost morse code at the end of this there's I, I listened back to this a couple of times just to make sure i wasn't hearing something or i wasn't getting interference from my phone or something but there is in the in the instrumental uda pruda or whatever it's called um a sort of tapping sound that sounds like it could be some sort of message if that is a message and i'm stupid and i've missed it i'd be interested to know but yeah i've not got much more to say on yeah this i've one. just i've just listened to that um i think it's I think it's like tape, you know, rolling over. But it feels, it, considering but, how well produced the album is, it seems weird that that would have got through. Oh no, it's obviously intentional. Yeah, fair enough. But what was the intention? Yeah. What was the design, dark or otherwise? I don't know. I felt like I felt like it might have been a bit too short. Because you've got the big long I- instrumental Uda Pruda at the mm. at the end, and I just. I would I would have liked a little bit more of Seething Rain. Um I'm ready for the next song. Okay, well track 13 White Lips Kissed 6 minutes 45 seconds. Yeah. It's monstrously beautiful this song. Yeah, there's no no right to be as beautiful as this. Um and yeah, we, yes no. we are gushing everyone. So if this is making you sick, then find a bucket and turn off the podcast. But if you want to stay around for some more vomit-inducing discussion, then stay tuned. <laughs> um I am a sucker for this song every single time it comes on. I think there must be people who feel this way when they listen to Imagine. And the opening chords are not a, a hundred million light years away from that the pace and the feeling of Imagine. Um, 
and it's just every time those so- those chords come in, I know I'm going to listen to this song all the way through, even though it's long. And I've just got my my notes here are just mainly lyrics that are just just incredible. Yeah. Um, so I'll go through a couple of them. Then maybe you've got a few that you want to talk about or or say more about here too. But um, so our love is a fickle love, keeps itself locked in a suitcase to be ready to go always. And that's it's. I've not had I've not seen you know four lines that really sum up the feeling of a, of of a relationship and as well you know that there's so many different things packed inside that little suitcase of lyrics and like like everything on this album it's it's not just the lyrics it's not just what he says it's how he sings it and how much sincerity and beauty seems to be put into that no yeah i can yeah the lyrics on on this one really do blow me away mm. um wake me up only nightmares take me in through these walls, the winter bites a draft from all sides. It's you can feel those lyrics. Mm. You can feel you just. It's, it's not necessarily emotive, but it it's it's more physical. You can actually feel the draft on all sides. It's got a, it's got a sort of weird gothic. It's definitely very deathly. A lot of this because I mean, white lips kiss does seem sort of gothic and strange. I mean, I guess the only time lips might be described as as, as white is is when there's a, a sort of deathly quality to them but again i don't really know what that is is meant to meant to signify um but there's a couple of lines here that I, that I really really love here so so worrying is the breathing that you need that is such a good line and sums up that thing that i was talking about before <laughs> about you know if you if you want to live life to any sort of level of fullness that's that's what some people feel like they they need that worry and that sadness and that emotion and that's the breath that they have and that's just the way that they exist some people just sort of poodle of through life and it's like fine whatever but i like feeling big emotions and i like that this album is willing to go into that place but then to counteract that and i'll let you talk at some point in the next 10 years tyler to counteract that you've got the line things that are supposed to mean lots leave you cold so that's the other side of this sort of that was the worrying that soaring bit upwards but this is a downhill bit where stuff that's meant to mean a lot to you just leave you cold and for me there's so many things that are moments in life or or milestones that people invest with such importance like you have to do this you have to do that and these are all the big moments of your life these are all the milestones and i'm like is there something weird about me that these just leave me like cold and i'm not a numb and kind of like okay i don't really not really interested in that thing. But have you listened to you two recently? You know that that's the kind of thing that I, it's, it's just odd. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's me gushing. Yeah. Um, white lips kissed. What does that mean to you? Well, like a a dead person. Yeah, I was worrying that that was the answer. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, don't don't be too terrified. I think. I mean, blue. I think I'd get it if it was blue lips kissed. Yeah, but that's why it's more interesting than that because you can't. I don't yeah. think you can even when you are dead have white lips. I mean, maybe it's a type of weird lipstick that you could have if you're a bit of a weird gothy teen, I suppose. But I mean, I don't know. I think the to be honest, the white lips kiss bit is probably the least interesting a- aspect of of this song. Um, it's up against those lyrics that I talked about before, and you know, lyrics like "Our love is a tricky love." Bet you know this. Bet you noticed. Bet you know which is why. <laughs> And he he does this a few times, Jonas. He 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 does this a kind of sound alike 
of a series of words which are subtly different. So know this, noticed, and know which. He he does that with the words lethal and legal on III later on off the most recent album. And I, I think it is a, a nice quality that maybe because English isn't his first language, he feels that he likes to play around with it and mess around with it. You can see him noticing the the similarities in the sounds and just sort of playing around with those and getting the most out of them. So it's it's a weird song. Yeah, be, be absolutely beautiful song. Uh, if you thought Johnny was uh, gushing up till this point, then um, uh, my advice would be prepare yourself. Mm. For the next track, which is track 14, Louise Louisa at 7 minutes 20 seconds. It's also the final track. Mm. Uh, very last little tag on for White Lips Kissed. If you go to 6 minutes 16, you can actually hear Jonas sort of breathing out after some of the howling, powerful singing that he's been doing. And that, to me, is really cathartic. Canal, how deep are we going here? Well, go back and listen to it. Um, oh, you, can, you can hear Jonas breathe. <laughs> well, And at 6 minutes 40, you can actually hear Jonas walking into the studio. Well, He's got a lovely pair of sketches on well, that. Worrying day. is the breathing that you need, as, as he said. Uh, yeah, um, the, this one sort of s- slopes into the room a lot more calmly and sadly. Um, it's not. It's it's got drums, which always to me remind me of a kind of funeral march sort of sound. You know, it, they seem ominous and kind of sad. Yeah. Um, That's the end of the album. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not complaining. You've got reason to be sad. You've got reason to be sad. You could have easily ended this album, as we said, at track twelve. If you're a producer, I think, and you'd heard track twelve, you'd say, okay, that's a closer. But then you've got White Lips Kissed, which I think was the one that they recorded. Maybe one of the last ones I recorded. It definitely was recorded in a different studio, I think, to all the rest. So you've already had White Lips Kissed, and then you get Louise Louisa. It's crazy, because either of those songs would be good ones to go out on. And then you have this extra bonus 7 minutes 20, which, again, doesn't feel like its length. It's very long, technically, for a song. But it's got such emotion in so many different sections that it doesn't feel like it. Are we are we talking about Louise Louisa now or yeah. not? All right, okay, good. All right, I knew you were gonna gush. Um, are you gonna tell the story about it making you cry? Uh, no. <laughs> all right, okay. Uh, I have several friends who really like this song, and it's made them all cry, and it's never had that effect on me. It's a lovely song, but it's not tear-inducing. Well, I think it depends what what's going on in your life and how you feel at that particular time. Um, <laughs> and. There is just a, there's those lines like there goes Louisa, where you re, I think you you've got to insert yourself into the song and and think how do I relate to that? So he says I had such a night come true. What a day have had I? Now it's over, isn't it? There goes Louisa. So quite ambiguous. What a day? Is it good? Is it a bad day? It doesn't sound particularly good, but it's an emotional day. And then what is he feeling as he, as he passes Louisa? Is it that someone is dying as in the goes Louisa and we're sad in that funereal way? Or is it someone watching someone just move on from them in their life? You know, that they've, they've left now and, and you know, you're, you're just left alone. This drum break in the middle, because there is a, there is a, a, a big space left in the middle of the song for, for, the drums for Silas or Silas to, to go to go wild. This is, and I will happily defend this to the death, okay, and this is taking all of you two in 
to consideration as well. This is the most emotional drumming I've ever heard, okay? So I'll make that clear. Not the best drumming, okay? But I've never heard anyone get, and it's part of the whole song, obviously. If you just put the drums in isolation, it wouldn't have the same impact. I've never heard drumming as emotionally charged and interesting as this. It's it's so good. It almost sounds like it's kind of out of time room standing up on the kit. It's crazy. Uh, I mean, I, I've never had a reaction, an emotional reaction to drumming. I don't think this is such um, a such a, 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 a damp squib of the end of the album. Time. This is where you should be getting most pumped up. <laughs> I just, I, I don't love uh, Louise Louisa as much as everybody else seems to. Uh, it's fine. It's just, um, I, I prefer White Lips Kissed. So you would rather the album finish it on White Lips Kissed? Yeah, well, I'd I'd rather it end on Seething Rain and uh, White Lips Kip, uh, Kiss be a, a a very good B side. Oh, it would be a no. very good B side. Such a bad. That's that's the equivalent of saying that you you would like the not to be um, ultraviolet and Love Is Blindness on the end of Act and Baby. It's it's that mad. That's it's it's, it's not the same. It's it's not the right. Same. Well, last um, no this track this this album is fourteen tracks long and I think. While White Lips Kissed and Louise Louisa are both amazingly beautiful songs, the the lovely, lovely songs, I think I think of them more as B sides, and I think they should have been B sides on the singles of uh, of Special and Zookeepers. Well, if I mean, I mean these these to me are, the, are what balance out the poppy stuff that's much more, you know, initially accessible, and without these, I think the album doesn't doesn't work properly at all like i think you you need these these songs otherwise it doesn't have the depth that that you need and just i think also like you love the song rose don't you on on the late on one of the later albums on i plus do minus. rose is rose is a, a song on plus minus and i would highly recommend you go and listen to that because that's a that is an mm. epic um, and it's also a song that i asked jonas about because when it first came out it spelt R O W S, and um, I didn't know if it was called Rose or Rose, and Rose is like an argument um, in Britain. I don't know if that word's travelled around, um, but to have a row with somebody is to have an argument with somebody. And I asked Jonas about this, and he laughed at me and went, "That's such a British thing to say." Yeah, (laughs) have the negative way. So uh, I don't really know what he means by that, but um, I've been wondering about it for. When did I meet them? 2015, yeah. so around that time, 16. I think. I think it's. Yeah, I think so. it, the song "Rose" is. It, it is just about. There's a. There's rows of stuff, you know. Or maybe it's. To, maybe he, it's. He a, was thinking. He was thinking of rows of binary. Is what he said. Oh right. Okay. Well. Well. There you go. And that's a song that has such a suite of different parts to it. There's like movements in that song, all very beautiful, all very intricate. And I. I, I like Louise Louisa for the same reason. Um, last little bit then. There's a bit right at the end of this where there's a kind of hopeful quality. Cause he, so he says, dig out yourself from rubble, removing all your skin and don't ever think of trouble, the darkness that has been. So that seems to be almost like a, a Lazarus style, like rising from the dead, digging yourself out from rubble, removing your skin. So being something different, being something new and fresh and shiny. But then the very, very last bit, where he's saying, I'm in a car, I don't know where we're headed for, stay with me, don't want to be alone. That seems like genuine wild-eyed terror, at, you know, the last bit of your life ebbing out or something. It's it's really, really weird stuff. And I just think you can get so much, to get so much emotion packed into 7 minutes 20 is, it's a real achievement. And 
it's I want people to try to musicians to try to aim for this sort of stuff even if they miss it even if they shoot for it and never hit it I'd rather have that than just you know just an, an album that's just three minutes of crap accessible yeah. crap the, re- the reward is in the risk yes exactly yeah so there we go that was Mew and the Glass Handed Kite one of my favourite albums of all time uh, top five for you Johnny yes without a doubt including and that includes you too uh, what's your sweetest thing difficult one to sum up but I have said Envoy to the Open Fields that's a real good one I think this time I'm going to have to give it to Seething Rain because it's um... uh oh I don't know. I've I've been hearing that a different a different way in the last couple of weeks. You're not going to like my dirty day then. Oh, is your seething rain? Well, it. I mean, initially it was small ambulance, but then I thought it's a bit it's a bit rich to give it to an yeah, instrumental. I think you've got to you've got to consider real songs in this rather than instrumentals. Yeah. Or not? I don't care. I'm I'm, str- I'm, I'm struggling picking a a dirty day. You're also good because I do like I do like Louise Louisa, but this is an album that I listen to. In its entirety, I don't seek out independent songs and, and listen to them that way. Um, I, I, uh, do I have to pick one? Uh, well, them's the rules. Oh, God. Um, I, mean, I don't think she's going to get back to the band. Uh, I, I would have to go with Louise Louise, Louise, Louise then. I don't, but I do like it, you know. Yeah, I like Seeding Rain. It's, it's just, a it's just the weakest choice. of a great bunch. It's like picking my least favourite child. Uh, yeah, Louisa, Louisa. Yeah. So there we go. Um, thank you for listening to us this week. Uh, we hope we haven't bored you. Uh, it's been a difficult one for me because my, my words aren't working. Um, and I really do love this album. It's been with me for a, a long time and it will continue to be with me. I absolutely love it. I hope you find something that you like in it. Uh, I'm sure Johnny has the same sentiments. Yep. Uh, Next week we're going to be looking at the Kings of Leon, uh, Leon, the Kings of Leon, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> lovely girl, uh, and only by the thighs. Uh, no, Kings of Leon, and only by the night. And um, well, I think it's going to be a bit of a different vibe next week. What do you think, Johnny? A Johnny? different rodeo altogether. Um, but we'll keep our powder dry on that one. Obviously, do your vision. Listen to the album beforehand. Maybe dig it out if you've not heard it for a while. And I think more than any other week on Tumul, I would love to hear from people who've gotten into Mew for the first time and are just discovering this album because it will make me somehow recapture a little bit of that magic I felt when I was in college and, you know, I was listening to this stuff for the very first time. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time. Good day. Thank you for listening to Review 2, the U2 podcast. If you'd like to get in contact or for more information, please follow us on Twitter at REV underscore U2 or on Facebook.com forward slash REV U2 to you. 
For those Rebel-type guys, why not email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Review 2 was presented by Johnny and Tyler. <laughs>